Hi, and welcome to the 41st episode of The Morning Rage. I'm your host, Jen Prentice. And I'm your co-host, Lauren O'Keefe. And this is Not Your Mom's Morning Show. It's a space where we pop off about all things culture, society, and politics in order to help you unpack your beliefs, feel more confident in sharing your voice. And today, we are going to give you a breath of fresh air from the crazy world that we live in as we talk with friend of the pod and author and podcaster, Jeanette Tapley, about friendship. Jen, this conversation feels like the hug we all need right now. You sat down with Jeanette, who is a real life friend of yours. And man, you guys share what's on your hearts right now. And Jeanette talks about how we can all be better friends in a politically and culturally divided world. It's really good timing to have this conversation. I agree. It's been a rough couple weeks for me. And this conversation with Jeanette was exactly what my heart needed. I felt like as soon as I saw her little face on the Zooms, I just took this big sigh of relief. And towards the end of the interview, Jeanette actually asks me a question. And I will tear up a bit as I talk about a really personal decision that I'm struggling with. I was tempted to edit that part of the interview out. But my hope in keeping it in there is that it'll help other people feel less alone and I think that's one of the reasons why we started this pod, right? It sure is. And I'm sorry it's been a rough couple of weeks for you, friend. I'm not going to lie. It has over here in my camp as well. Um, Anything you want to talk about? No, (laughs) but also yes. Oh, I know that one. Yeah. (laughs) I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I think that I can connect some of what's going on in my personal life to my pop-off this week. Oh, good. Okay. You want to pop, Lauren? Let's pop. Let's do it. What are you popping off about? You go first. Okay. So I was watching TV and I saw a preview for a documentary about the Galapagos Islands. It was so beautiful and lovely. And then all of a sudden it took a dark turn, like most documentaries do. And all of a sudden we're talking about climate change. And I'm like, oh no. (laughs) Climate change is like the ultimate overwhelming topic to just really make you feel helpless. Like, am I right? Yes. Is there anything more helpless than thinking about climate change? I recycle. I could try composting. I'm eventually going to buy a hybrid car. I have solar panels on my house. I don't know. You're like, is that enough? I'm not sure. I don't use aerosol hairspray. Didn't they say that that was bad? That's been bad always. (laughs) So... I'm watching just this preview and I'm just thinking about, I don't know, just how like endlessly overwhelming this like barrage of information is in the world right now. Things like climate change, things like, you know, struggles going on in Afghanistan, you know, what's going on in Haiti. Like there's so much to be concerned about and to feel helpless about right now. And I was listening to the podcast by Glennon Doyle, We Can Do Hard Things, and they were talking about feelings. And they were also talking about how you deal with your feelings in a world that is just like such a mess. I loved the way they talked about it because what they were saying is we weren't designed to take on this much information about the world. The fact that we are so interconnected with what's going on overseas in other countries we can hear the like heartbreaking stories of what's happening on the other side of the world. It feels like a lot because it is a lot. And we were really only designed to handle what was going on in our own communities, like our own village, if you will. 
And so they talk about this and I was just like, oh my gosh, yes, yes, yes. And the feeling of helplessness, to me, it feels like, and she talks about this on the episode, but it it's this idea that, you know, in the movies where you're like floating off into space, <laughs> all of a sudden your like rope snaps and you just keep floating. Like, doesn't that make your whole body tingle in like a really uncomfortable way? I believe that's both a Matt Damon and a Matthew McConaughey movie. <laughs> I think everyone has done that movie somehow. <laughs> oh, uh, George Clooney also. Uh huh. Sure, sure. Yeah. Apollo thirteen. Yep. Mm-hmm. Don't even know <laughs> who floated in that movie. Always someone floating off into space. I hate it. I hate it so much. It's like when you, a balloon gets let off and just keeps going, and you're like, "Where's it going? Up? What about up? <sighs> oh, I know. So that's the feeling. That's the feeling I feel. That helpless feeling of like, oh my gosh, it's too big. It's too much." I don't know what to do with all this information. What I've been focusing on is, sure, it's great to learn about these things and educate yourself, but how much are we doing that just like to feed our own, this insatiable need to learn more about all these things, but how is it helping us and how is it helping the situation? It's not. So I think we can take on some of these, some of these hard things, some of these topics but we need to do something. We need to do it for us. We need to do it for the problem. If we're all just sitting around talking about it, nothing is actually getting done. I am working on doing just like one small thing to help something that feels really heavy on my heart. So when it comes to climate change, like the scariest thing, you know, <laughs> you can think of. Yes. And that you feel like, I don't think I could possibly ever do enough. Yes. To death fix- to the fishes, death <laughs> to the wildlife, death to all of us eventually. Yes. Great. No big deal, guys. Carry on with your day. <laughs> so I'm just going to focus on like the few things I can do. So I want to actually put it out to our ragerettes out there. If you guys have good tips on how to be more sustainable, on how to lower our footprint, please let me know. Please message us. We will share those tips with all of you. I think if we can just start doing a few things at a time, we'll be like, I'm doing what I can in my small little piece of the world. I love that. I see your one small thing towards sustainability. I love it. I would also like to put out If maybe you don't have any suggestions for how to be more sustainable, if you have one small way that you can help affect change on any other of the issues that are going on in our world right now, let us know. Like next Monday, I start teaching at Cal Poly and my students are actually going to take on a project for a local nonprofit called Immigrant Hope where they provide legal aid for undocumented immigrants here in our area. Yes. And that feels like my one small thing right now. Because not only is it fulfilling a class requirement for my students, but I'm also getting to help an organization that I feel strongly about and aid in an issue that I feel strongly about. So let us know what your one small thing is. Yes. And we can share it. Yes, I love that. Yeah, if we can't do something globally, if we all just did one small thing in our communities, the world would be a better place. That's going to be a new podcast uh, segment. (laughs) What's your one small thing this week? I like it. I like it a lot. Okay. All right, Jen, what are you popping off about? Well, for as negative as I felt like last week's pop about the Texas abortion law was, I want to have a positive pop. 
this week. I want to talk about why I'm not yet listening to the rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast and my love, yes, you heard me correctly, my love for the local church. So first of all, Lauren, are you familiar with Mars Hill, Mark Driscoll, and the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill? So yes, I actually was going to school in Seattle uh, in like 2006 to 2008, somewhere around there. And I went to Mars Hill. I was literally living in Ballard and I would go to Mars Hill Church. Mark Driscoll was the pastor. It was interesting. It was an interesting time. I haven't listened to the podcast yet. One of our pod listeners had actually recommended it to us as a fascinating listen. So I will listen to it just because I was there at the time. So I'm kind of fascinated by it. So you haven't listened to it. No. And in this last week, probably three people have asked me if I'm listening Ooh, to interesting. it. Mm-hmm. A couple people who listen to the podcast in mm-hmm. particular. Shout out to Katie Hill mm-hmm. and Christine Jew, mm-hmm. two of our podcast listeners, mm-hmm. who have recommended this podcast to me. And my first thought was, I don't know if I can listen to it because I think it will further fuel my rage ah. against the church. <laughs> uh-huh. But I looked into the podcast a little bit more. So it's hosted by Mike Cosper of Christianity Today. And in the first episode, he describes the podcast as the story of one church who grew from a handful of people to a movement and then collapsed almost overnight. It's a story about power, fame, and spiritual trauma, problems faced across the spectrum of churches in America. And yet, it's also a story about the mystery of God working in broken places. And that last line was what made me think, huh, maybe I do want to listen to it. So this weekend, actually, two things happened that gave me a little glimpse into what I think is the thesis of the podcast, both the brokenness of the church, because it's run by broken people like us, Mm -hmm. and the way that God redeems those broken places and those broken people through the church. Mm -hmm. So the first thing was that yesterday morning I had coffee with my friend Christine, who I just talked about, who is definitely a self-proclaimed ragerette. Oh, bless you, Christine. Thank you. We love Christine for many reasons Mm -hmm. around here. But Christine and I met at church about three years ago. And over the last three years, we have supported each other through some really tough life circumstances. She has since moved down to Southern California and we have stayed in touch. We Zoomed a lot over COVID And we call each other, we text each other just to support, say, hey, how can I be praying for you or let each other know that we're thinking of them. Yesterday, she was in town and we had coffee and it was such a sweet reminder of the beauty of community and friendship that for me blossomed out of a seed planted in my local church. Mm -hmm. So that was the first thing that happened. The second thing that happened this weekend that reminded me of the brokenness and the beauty of the local church is that I attended a Bible study leaders training for a Bible study that I am leading at my church at 6 a.m. on Zoom this fall. I'm sorry, did you say 6 a.m.? Like, is God even up at 6 a.m., Jen? I sure did. (laughs) 6 freaking a.m. 6 freaking a.m. And I like to think that our Bible study, our 6 a.m. Bible study, is a group of people who love Jesus but... Ain't got no time for that. No time to waste. (laughs) They're my kind of people. (laughs) So we get in, we get it done, we get out. (laughs) So 
So I'm leading this study. It's Priscilla Shire's Elijah study. Mm -hmm. I'm super excited about it. I went to this training and I find out that I'm co-leading this study with an older woman in my church named Lori. And I know Lori, I really like her, but I will admit I assumed that Lori is pretty conservative in her political and religious views and that I wouldn't be able to be honest with her mm-hmm. about a lot of the things that I've been processing lately. Mm-hmm. So I invited Lori to go to lunch after the training so that we could talk about leading the study together. And Lauren, I was wrong. I was so wrong about Lori and about her heart and our conversation was so surprising and lovely and God knew exactly what I needed yesterday. And he gave me a gift in the form of this 70 something woman from my church. And I am so thankful. So I said all of this to say that, yes, there is so much brokenness in the American church. And that is because the church is made up of flawed people. But the church is also, Christine actually said this when we were having coffee yesterday, She said, yeah, but the church is also the bride of Christ. And he doesn't look at us and see all of our flaws. And he doesn't look at the church and see all of our flaws. He came, he died for all of those flaws. And you have to recognize the brokenness, but also seek to find the good as well. And I know that there are a lot of people listening who are leery of the local church, and I get that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know that there's a lot of people who might have left the church altogether because of some religious trauma. I get that too. Yeah. Or who may have left the church unintentionally over the last 18 months just because COVID. Like, honestly, my family and I haven't been to church a ton Mm -hmm. over the last 18 months or because of political stuff. But let me say, as I land this plane of a (laughs) pop-off, that you will never find a perfect church because the church is made up of imperfect people. But there is always beauty to be found in brokenness. And we need the community of other believers, Mm -hmm. other people who are likely doing life a little bit different than us, but who are genuinely trying to figure out what it looks like to love Jesus and love others too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you have been hurt by the church or by the broken people of the church, yeah, sometimes you may need a break. Sometimes you may need some time to heal, but I think there's beauty in not giving up on it. Yes. Not giving up on the church the way God intended it, um, the churches of the Bible that we know we're doing it well, and I think we can still hope and want to be a part of the transformation of the new church and what it should look like. Yes, and that is actually what I felt while I was at this Bible study leaders training yesterday. There were a few things that I was like, oh man... I don't know, am I just like reinforcing these systems and structures of like conservative Christian white people Mm -hmm. reading the Bible together? And then there were some really beautiful moments where I thought, no, either I think I can speak into certain issues or there were other women in the room who I thought, no, at the end of the day, all of those women were there because they genuinely wanted to draw closer to Jesus together. Yeah. And that felt really beautiful. Yeah. And it's worth trying to do better. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's always worth trying to do better. Yeah. Those are some great pop-offs. I feel good about those (laughs) pop-offs. We really solved the world's problems, clearly. And the church's problems. (laughs) It's doing the Lord's work here. But can we get into this interview with Jeanette? I'm really excited for this. Yes. You guys, if you don't know Jeanette Tapley, she's a delight. She is the host of her own podcast, It's Time for Coffee. But more importantly... She just so genuinely desires to be the friend that all of us are needing right now. And she does that so well online and in real life. We are going to talk about what it means to be a good friend, 
what it means to cheer our friends on when they have something that we don't have or we think that they're further ahead in life than we are. So we're going to kind of continue our conversation on contentment, especially towards the end of the podcast. And then we're going to talk about how to grow friendships in a divided world. So here is my interview with Jeanette Tapley. Hey everyone, I am so excited to be here with my friend, my real live in the flesh, but also my internet friend, Jeanette Tapley. She's everyone's internet friend, honestly. <laughs> um, Jeanette and I met about three years ago. Almost four, almost four, almost four. Almost four years ago. It'll be four in April, I think. Yeah, yeah. At Rachel Hollis's Rise Conference, when we were both just starting to share our lives online. And Jeanette was a really bright spot to me at that conference. And in that season of life, we have stayed in touch and continued to cheer each other on online in real life. She is the friend that everyone needs. She's such a good friend and her podcast, it's time for coffee. I am very humbled that I have been on the podcast Two times, twice. right? Twice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been on the podcast twice. It's been a privilege to watch Jeanette grow and launch her podcast years ago and share her life. She's also written a book, a devotional book called It's Time for Jesus. And so I wanted to have Jeanette on today because I think in a world where we are all dividing into tribes. and holding so tightly to our identities and what we think or feel or believe or our opinions, we've lost the ability to be good friends in some ways. That's going to kind of be, for those who are listening, the focus of our conversation today is like how to be a good friend, because that is what Jeanette's doing on her podcast, online, and in her real life. Tell us about yourself, what we wouldn't know just, you know, by reading your internet bio. Well, I live in Texas and I have to say like, some people might give Texas crap, especially right now, but man, God bless Texas. But I'm originally from Alaska. Um, We've been in Texas about 10 years. uh, So I really am like, owning more of that like Texas pride, but Alaska's bigger. You know, we just have to say that. Yeah. I have three kids, teenagers. Like I'm, I'm in this like massive teenage stage. Uh, I have a freshman in high school, which is really weird, Jen. I can't believe it. He's running varsity. Like I've just am in this stage where my kids, I find great joy in them because they don't need me to wipe their butts anymore. Great way to say it. It's so true. It's so true. Like they're helpful, even when they're sassy. Like they're just good. And um, our youngest is um adopted from Africa, and she's deaf. And so we have this like really fun family where we are signing and laughing, and you always see us coming. And so uh, it's just a it's a lot of fun. I'm I'm finding more joy in motherhood now than I have in a long time. Uh, and then my husband who just straight up adores you, Jen. You know, you know, Jesse freaking Tapley has a big heart for Professor Jen. And um, we've been married, Jen, we've been married almost 18 years. That is crazy because you are younger than me. 
And you've been married 18 years. Yeah, it might be 17. I don't know. It's been a long time. But yeah, we got married really young and it's been a lot of fun to grow up together. That's been our whole goal is just to continue to grow up together. And now I feel like we're growing up with our kids. It's fun. It's a good time. So aside from like family stuff, I do. I write. I show up on the Internet as the best friend I can, uh, which we were talking about is is getting a little harder. (laughs) But I just show up in in hopes to encourage other people to be the friend I can be to them to their real life friends like I just always want to say like hey you might feel like a bad friend go call your friend like go show up go text a friend go go love on somebody right now because the internet is really tricky and we can believe that all of our friends live there on the internet but in reality our closest friendships are the ones that we allow actually in our home one of the things I love the most about our friendship Jen is we were friends in person first we actually met in person and then we became internet friends so i feel like that like that like holds some validity in our friendship right <laughs> so, so yeah that's that's how i show up and that's um my goal is always to teach first and to teach from my mistakes i will never ever 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 claim to be a perfect friend i have people in my past who will tell you that i am not a perfect friend and i just hope to always love others as best i can in every season And you do that so well. I just want to once again, affirm that. I think your family does that so well. I love your family and watching them do, watching you guys grow up together. I think you're right. You can see that through your social media, watching you guys grow up together. When we met, like I said, we were at Rachel Hollis's Rise Conference in 2018. (laughs) What made you want to go to the Rise Conference? Like talk about that season of your life, where you were at, in your life, in your career, and what made you want to go? It's funny to even think about like those girls back then, right? Like who we were. Rachel Hollis to me at that point was the picture of dreaming. Like she at that season gave me permission to dream beyond my home to dream beyond my babies. It was right when podcasting was pretty new. It was like this transition period on the internet where like people were showing up on Instagram, people were podcasting. And I was like, I want to make friends all over the world. The best way to do this is to show up to these conferences. And it was just one of those moments where it was very like, oh, I'm allowed to dream and have aspirations that aren't nine to five that actually scratch a creative itch. And Rachel really embodied that for me. Uh, Just seeing her come up in stories, seeing how her um, now ex-husband supported her and cheered her on and seeing her, for me too, it was like watching her go through her adoption. She was this really sweet person who just embodied dreaming. That's what really drew me to Rise. Love that you said she embodied dreaming and that it was at that time such a sweet season for all of us who attended. And we really felt like we were watching her do what we all wanted to do. And there are, you know, various opinions about Rachel on the internet now, and we're not going to get into that, but I think what my takeaway was, and I, I think you and I have talked about this enough to know that like you can glean wisdom and you can be motivated by someone on the internet. Even if you don't agree with everything that they're saying or doing in specific seasons, you can be motivated by them, then change your mind later on or be in a different season later on and not agree with them and say, Hey, you know, following that person or believing in this philosophy or being motivated by these things was great for me in that season, but not 
anymore. Like I'm so grateful for everything that I learned and did in 2018. And now we're all growing and doing different things in different ways. We've been talking a little bit on here this month about contentment and specifically as it relates to social media, when does being encouraged by someone and motivated by someone online cross into becoming envious of them? I think it is when you start thinking when you, it's almost like this comparison switch when you start saying, well, well, I could do that too. Or you start disparaging. Well, they have that because of this. And I think there's those two switches that happen really quickly and really faintly that you can be encouraged, encouraged, encouraged. And then all of a sudden that envious side of your brain can say, well, she has that because her husband worked for this immediately you're like, well, I can't have that because my husband does this. And so there's that, like that contentment will like it, your joy is stolen. And, and that comparison is what comes in. And, and that's what I think. I think it really is just a moment of like, it changes really, really quickly. And I think what you said before was so right about like, if I had known in 2018 that, that I wasn't going to agree with Rachel in 2021, it probably would have changed the course of my next couple of years. And I would have been really sad about that because God's done so much in my life in the past three, four years. And so to lose kind of that like foundation and like you sift through the good and the bad. And, and man, I really look at that foundation as like, that was really good times. And that really did grow me up and, and build me up into something different. But I do know that there was a switch with contentment, just like all of these leaders on the internet where I'm like, well, it must be nice. And then when it's that, then I typically will take a step back, either mute or unfollow, um, and just kind of like find different voices to listen to for a while, because I want to grow. I want to be, I want to be a forever learner, but I also have to really, really monitor like what's going on in my heart. Oh, monitoring our inputs. And using that mute and unfollow button, that's really good. So when we went to the Rise Conference, you wanted to get into the podcast space. I mean, I remember talking to you at the conference and you saying you were going to launch a podcast. The podcast had just launched actually. Like, I think Rise was like April 4th and 5th and the podcast had launched April 2nd. Like it was a baby. It was like brand new. So you had launched the podcast. And can you talk a little bit about the first couple months of launching and building it's time for coffee. Cause that's the name of your podcast. How did you know what to do? What was going through your head? How did you push through? I'm just going to assume that you had moments of self-doubt and frustration. How did you push through that? I think I pushed through because I just knew it was a dream. Also like fear of failure at that point was really, really real for me. Like I don't want to look stupid. So I at least have to do this for a year. <laughs> like, we're just going to keep going. I definitely had like imposter syndrome. I'm just a small fry. Like who do I think I am? But I also, it was so fun. And actually even just thinking back to those first few months, like even the first six months, it was just, it was so, it, it still is fun. I should say that, but it was so fun learning and growing and trying new things that um really like three years, four years down the road, those new things I tried don't matter. Like, first of all, I don't think anybody's listening to those first few episodes. And if you do like, cool, but like, you don't need to like, there's better stuff. Like, No, like I was on those first few episodes. Yeah. Don't listen to you anything listen. I said. No, don't listen to anything I said on those first few episodes. I'm not doing anything I could, that I talked about. I could probably take down the first hundred episodes and be totally content with that to be totally honest. But it was just fun to learn a new skill. It was, it was exciting to meet new people. And honestly, it just felt like I was living a dream. Like it was just like, 
exciting and full of wonder almost. But it was also like learning new workflows. I didn't understand what a workflow was then or like how to, how to work, how to do this. Kids were still around. Like all of those new things that you take on when you when you jump into an entrepreneurial role, trying to find sponsors and stuff like that. Like it was just, it was all so new. But I think because it was so new, it was still, I was still starry eyed with it. So what would you say to someone who's listening and is thinking, man, I would love to start a podcast. I'd love to launch that business. I would love to try that new thing. What would you say to them that you know now that you wish you'd known then? Okay. Can I do like the two different sides of my brain for you? Absolutely. Okay. The Disney side of my brain reminds everybody it all started with just a mouse. Like it was just a mouse. Come on. Like, come on. Walt had failed so much before then. And everything else was started with just a mouse. The other side of my brain <laughs> says, who are you speaking to? Know who you're talking to. Know what problem you're solving for them. Um, it's taken me a long time to hone into like, we are dealing with friendship here. And even now when the when I do the podcast, sometimes it's, it's a miss where I'm like, tell me about your book. And we talk about this book. And then I'm like, oh, shoot, we didn't loop that into friendship. How do I, how do I connect? How do I do this? And sometimes it's a miss, but sometimes it's really great conversations. So it's one of those like kind of toss ups, but my best, best advice is to know who you're talking to and why you're talking to them, who and why. And then also like, can you help them solve a problem at the end of the episode? Is there a problem that you're solving? It doesn't have to be world changing. It doesn't have to be, you know, world peace or anything like that, but it just has to be like, did you just help them kill 20 minutes while they did the dishes? Check problem solved. That's typically what it is for me. I'm like, hey, put me in while you're washing the dishes or vacuuming or driving carpool. Like, let's hang out. Let's let's have some time together so that you're not lonely. Also, for those who don't know, Jeanette loves Disney. So when she's talking about the Disney side of her brain, she could do a whole podcast on her love for Disney. I really could. I really, really could. I was watching the fireworks. I just need to tell you this. I was watching the fireworks this last trip. And I thought about the first time I had seen that show. The first time I'd seen that fireworks spectacular just like blew my blew my mind. But there's this part where Mufasa comes up the air and I talk about it in the devotional. Mufasa comes up in the air and he says, remember who you are. You are more than you've become. And then Hercules starts playing. And it's so good. And it the song to Hercules is like, um, I can go the distance. I will please the gods. I would say, I'll please my God. Like I can go the distance. I can be faithful, true and strong. And like, I remember that moment watching it for the first time and being like, you have called me to so much more than what I'm doing. I cannot wait to go the distance. And so watching it this last time, I was like, remembering that feeling and remembering that calling and remembering how much has changed in my own life since the first time I saw that. And I was just like, this is holy ground, like sobbing in front of the castle. You know, it was just, that's the Disney side of my brain. (laughs) Yeah. I love that analogy. Like you were made for this moment. This is what you're called to remember who you are. And I think that's a good through line for this conversation, even like remembering who you are, what God has called you to do, not just the big picture of what he's called you to do in your career or in your family, but also in your relationships Mm -hmm. too. And I think that that is something that you and I have talked about where, especially right now, it is really hard to know how to navigate friendships and relationships in a very divided world. So we're going to get to that in a minute. Before we do, though, I have one more question related to like launching the podcast and friendship. Because we went to the Rise Conference together, there were a lot of other 
women who left that conference and went on to do really big things. Huge. Yeah. You did such a good job at encouraging me and a lot of our other friends to keep going, you know, be who you were called to be, but you also did such a good job in cheering people on who were being more successful. How do you do that? Talk about that a little bit, because that takes effort. You just had a great conversation with Lisa Whittle. I listened to your podcast with Lisa Lisa Whittle and you guys talked about that a little bit. How do we cheer for people, whether they're our friends or not, whenever we also maybe feel envious or feel frustrated that we're not where they are at? It's probably the hardest thing we do, right? Because mm-hmm. we never want to seem inauthentic. We always want to be, I always want to be seen as um, truly loving what other people are doing. Probably because I'm afraid of if I don't what I look like, to be totally honest. Like I don't, I don't want people to be like, oh, she's just jealous. I don't ever want to be seen that way. I want to cheer people on at the deepest core of myself because I, I know that's what I need. Does that mean like, and it's almost like this, like if you give it, you get it. And yes. it's, it's a, it's a very interesting dynamic. Cause it's absolutely, I, I don't believe that like, just because I'm cheering that person on in their book deal means I'm going to get a book deal. But I also know that to be found celebrating somebody else is always far greater than to, to be sad for myself. It just good. Oh, thanks. It just hurts to even think about like moping because somebody else got what you wanted. I don't want to be found that way. I want to be found like this doesn't mean it's easy for me, but just this morning, um, Bailey T. Hurley released her book cover. It's, it's so freaking cute. She's writing a book about friendship. I immediately saw it and you have a choice to make in that moment. And this is where I always stop, take a breath. And I say, do you want to cheer her on? Or do you want to be sad for yourself? And the answer is always cheer her on. And so I like said, like, I like commented on her post. I'm like, oh my gosh, I love this. Like, congratulations. Like so cheering you on here. And she commented back something along the lines of like, I love what you're putting out there about friendship too. And I said, together, we will make sure our, our friends are being the best friends that they can be. Because why not have more people talking about friendship? It's not a saturated market. Even if it was a saturated market, it's still, there's so much room. Our voices are so different. It's just that immediate thought process of where do I want to be sitting? Do I want to be sitting jealous or do I want to be sitting proud of people around me? And I always want to be proud of people around me. That's so good, Jeanette. These are your pulling out some real, uh, good quote cards that we can use okay, to promote good. this episode. That's good. I like so it. <laughs> I like it. And all of that to say like beyond the quote card, like it's still a wrestle in my heart. Like I still struggle with it, but again, it's just, it's just trying to be found in that moment as, as true as I want to be seen. That means I have to do the work on the outside, right? Like I can't just be like, Oh, I'm so proud of you. High five. Like that's going to show inauthentic at some point. Yeah. I always try to think about who I am on the outside, is it lining up internally? And if it's not, then it's not generally the other person that has to change something. It's me that has to, to do the work and change the thing. So the reason probably that it was hard to see Bailey T. Hurley's book on friendship is because you are also in the process. You just signed with an agent to eventually write a book on friendship. First of all, why friendship? Hmm. Second of all, What does friendship mean to you? Let me start with why friendship. I believe that we need friends around us because I believe that Jesus is our ultimate model and Jesus did nothing alone. He was surrounded by 12 people all the time. And 
if we look at that, even even him having the 12, he had, I think it was like three to five closer to him. And so when we look at like how he modeled ministry and life, he had his disciples and then he had Mary, Martha and Lazarus and he had community every step of the way. <laughs> this is where I want to get like my preacher's kid sassiness in where I'm like, why do we think we're better than Jesus that we don't need people around us? Jesus didn't need to be held accountable. He was perfect, yet he still had people around him. He still was showing himself to them. He was still modeling community. And I just did a podcast interview with somebody and he said, we were made for community by community. We believe in the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a community. Three people is a community. And I was like, oh, dang, I never thought about that. Like, it just was an and I said, well, yeah, I always talk about Jesus having community, but like we were created for community by community. And I'm just like, yeah, exactly that. And so then why friendship? We live in such a connected world. We are bored at Target. So we pull up our phones and we're immediately connected to Instagram. If we don't want to be on Instagram, we can be on TikTok and watching people's videos. If we don't even want that, then we're going to see what our grandparents are writing on Facebook. We are so freaking connected that when we close the app, there's like this like sense of loneliness that settles in. And I have for four years, I've said we're the we're the most connected generation, but we're the loneliest generation. And it's only getting worse. And so to me, it's like really, really looking at our our community, like our real life people and saying like, I can't do this alone anymore. Like I really need people in my home. I really need friends who know me, like know me, not the me that I show up on as the internet, which Jen, you know, is typically pretty close to who I am. Yes, but at the it same is, everyone. Time, <laughs> at the same time, like if I don't want to show up one day, like I don't have to, but guess what? I'm going to get a Marco Polo from a friend saying what's going on because I've built in accountability. I have built in people to check on me. I've told people where I'm weak. Uh, people see where I'm strong. So then it's my job to do the checking in on. We have to have community because or we have to have friendship and friendship like means all of those things to me. It means not walking in the darkness alone. Like I just can't imagine walking it all by myself. And I don't think that I'd have a strong faith if God didn't say we needed people around us. I mean, there's a verse that said a sweet friendship refreshes the soul. There's a reason for that. There's a reason why when we have coffee with friends, we leave saying like, oh, I so needed this. That's a refreshment. That's your soul being refreshed because you have people speaking into your life. There's a reason why we ask our friends for their advice on the clothes we're going to wear or what they're having for dinner. How could you cook this or anything like that? There's a reason for that. And it's because we need people speaking into our lives and holding us accountable and doing all of those many, many things. Friendship has become infinitely more difficult lately. COVID made it hard to actually physically be together. Yep. But everything that has happened in our world over the past year and a half, two years has really drawn lines between friends. What would you say to people who are looking around and saying, I can't find community because I don't even know how to build it in such a divided world? Oh man, if there was just like a cookie cutter answer for this, Jen, it would be so nice because I feel like we would all be starting a book club or we'd all be like meeting at a coffee shop or something along those lines. I think this is the devil's schemes. And I know that sounds super churchy and Jesus-y, but like to divide and disconnect us 
again, the Bible says a cord of three is not easily broken, but a one single person alone, shoot, that person can be knocked off no problem. Two people, it's a little bit harder to knock that person down, but three together can stand strong. And so I just think about all these single people out there right now saying like, I can't find a friend. Not only like, could I not find a friend before COVID, but now like I can't even find a friend because of COVID or I'm not going to church because our restrictions are this, or I can't walk into a restaurant because I'm afraid. And it like, honestly, like breaks my heart. So I know we were just saying that the internet, (laughs) the internet's tricky, but I will say like going into like hashtags and finding like local hashtags that you can kind of like connect with people and maybe doing some sort of online book club in your neighborhood or in your community is a great way to start connecting with people and with the hopes of like then connecting in person. So I think the internet is a great tool. I just don't think it's the end all be all coming from an author who says, please follow me on the internet because because it matters. (laughs) Well, I think two things you said there are good. One, the internet is a great tool. It is not the be all end all, but it is a great tool. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But the second thing is to live locally, start with the people in your neighborhood. I mean, you know, I'm like incredibly close to the people on my street in my neighborhood. They've literally saved my life over the last, you know, two years, but I do not see eye to eye with all those people. I'm not in the same stage of life as all of those people. You and I were talking before we started recording about understanding what your purpose or what God's purpose is for each of your relationships and realizing that you don't have to agree with everyone or be in the same stage of life as them or do the same things or think the same way in order to have true connection and community with them. Can you talk about that a little bit? How have you seen, I mean, you're in Texas, I'm in California. Those are two very different states with two very different um, political leanings and mm-hmm. viewpoints on a lot of things within the people who live there. Can you talk about what it's been like for you in the past year and a half to continue to build and foster community? What does that look like? Yeah, I think it's just what you said too. What a boring world it would be if we just hung out with people who agreed with us. We need to widen our views because even people I agree with, I'm like, Ooh, I wouldn't have said it that way. Like, yikes, that was a little harsh, you know, stuff like that. And so I think it's just surrounding ourselves with people, just that surrounding ourselves with people. Like we just have to be willing to step into a conversation. And I'm the first one to be like, Hey man, I do not understand politics. I will run this by Jesse and he will get his information from Sharon says so, because we love her and I trust her voice. And so (laughs) very much like, We'll get back to you on what we think about that. Oh, we just talked about Sharon says so last week on the pod or two weeks ago. I'm like, yes, I'm all in. Oh, all in. And so it's just one of those things where I'm like, hey, I don't understand all this. Tell me your thoughts. Why is this making you so passionate? Tell me why this is hurting your heart so much. And then all our job is to then do is to listen. We would just shut our mouths and listen sometimes. We would have better friendships because, and I'm not saying like only listen, be walked all over, but I'm saying like, maybe that person just needs an ear for right now. Maybe they just need to get it off their chest. Maybe they don't really understand until they really verbally process it. And then you can say, okay, I've never thought about it that way. Let me have some time. Let me do some research. Let me, what did you say to me earlier? If we took some time to actually press the right key. Mm-hmm. We would be better off as friends. We would actually be listening. I get to go speak to a group tonight where we're talking about listening. 
We're talking about asking good questions. And so much of that comes down to closing our mouth and waiting for the opportunity to speak, not necessarily even what, what our agenda is, but just to speak truth and love or just speak love, man. What if all we did was just like, Hey, I understand. I understand where you're coming from. I really do. Um, I might disagree with you here, but we don't need to argue about it. What if, right? <laughs> so a couple of things you said there that I really love one, listen Two, speak love, not necessarily trying to have to assert your opinion or your yeah. truth. And three, I think cultivating a posture of curiosity, like you said, asking those questions, why do you feel that way? And four, being okay with not agreeing with someone. Yeah. And I think if we went into conversations where we didn't have to be right all the time, and this might just be like my Enneagram type nine coming out where I'm like, we don't need to argue. We don't need to argue, but it might just also be like, we don't need to argue. Like we can just like, we could just like talk and be done with it. When you were saying earlier that I had mentioned the importance of taking the time to, to strike the right yes. key or hit the right note with people that comes from uh, a video that Emmanuel Acho did earlier this week, talking actually about Ray Charles and Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx was riffing while he was playing the piano with Ray Charles. And Ray Charles said, why did you do that? You ruined the song. And Jamie Foxx said, well, I was just having fun, man. I just wanted to do it. I was feeling the moment. And Ray Charles said, don't do that. Always take the time to hit the right note. And to me, sometimes hitting the right note in a friendship means knowing what not to talk about. Yeah. And knowing when to be silent and let go and when to speak love, when to cultivate that posture of curiosity, really having that like intention for every time you get together with someone saying like, what could come up here? How am I going to handle this conversation? If it does come up, how can I show this person love? Also like our own personal boundaries can matter there. Like we don't have to discuss every single thing. I'm not a political science major. I don't want to talk about it all the time. Also, I operate under a veil of fear often. So to talk about these things, like honestly kind of wrecks me. So I'm kind of like, Hey, um, we're not going to talk politics tonight. Like, I don't want to do that. We're going to talk about, um, the bachelorette or we're going to talk about something happy and silly and just wildly not mattering because my brain can't handle the fear that's going to come later. But I think that gets back to knowing what note to strike with each person, because not every friendship has to look the same and you don't have to do the same things with every friend. And when we try to make all of our friendships uniform, that's where the disconnect often happens. And we don't have the capacity for that. We don't have the capacity for 15 close relationships, plus a spouse, plus children, plus anything. Like we have to know kind of our capacity. If you only have capacity for two really close in-person friends and two really good like internet friends, like that's, that's your capacity. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about what to share with your personal life on the internet and how you kind of filter that. But you know, you and I run in internet circles where there are people on both sides clinging very tightly to both sides of these divisive issues, masks mm -hmm. or no masks, vaccines or no vaccines, yeah. um, the Texas abortion law, not the Texas abortion law. What do we do with refugees in Afghanistan, mm -hmm. the black lives matter movement? I mean, we have friends that you and I could sit here and name on yeah. both sides of those issues who we love, but we don't necessarily agree with. How do you know what to speak into and what not to speak into online? 
it's so hard and I I feel so often that I'm just the person like I put my head in the sand a lot and that's not helpful I don't think anybody's coming to me for political advice I really don't if they're like what's Janet up to they're probably thinking what kind of coffee did she make today (laughs) what color is her olive in June Manny yeah what color is her olive in June Manny where did she get those earrings a couple weeks ago it's always noonday like those kind of things like but yeah nobody is like you know who I'm gonna check out because she's gonna give us good advice Jeanette nobody's thinking that people are thinking about me about coffee nail polish and friendship and the best thing I can tell people right now is to love their people well and that's probably uh, the post I need to write today Jen is how are you loving your friends well if you don't agree Uh, I think it's going to come down to just choosing to believe the best no matter what and for the love of God choosing to believe that they know what's best for their family Like, what a concept. That's the best thing that we can do for our friends is to say, if you need to, if you need to wear a mask to the grocery store because you feel protected or you feel like it's going to show somebody else love, wear a mask to the grocery store. If you feel like getting vaccinated is the best thing for you to do for your family, please go get vaccinated. If you don't want to be vaccinated because you don't know what's happening with everything, don't get vaccinated. Do what's best for your family and believe that your friends aren't just going blindly like I don't know any person who's like what's going on in the world I'll just follow this like we are so saturated with noise that I'm sure we've all had lots of thoughts and conversations with those closest to us who help us make decisions and have really thought these things out so I think if anybody's asking what I think or believe or where I'm leaning it is choose to believe that your friends know what they're doing and what they're, what they're doing is best for their families. And I think don't assume malice too. Oh yeah. Like we are so easily offended and so quick to assume malice. You know, you and I don't likely agree on every single issue and I don't care. I can still love you and be your friend without having to agree with you. So I have a question that I'm testing out at the end of every podcast episode, but last question regarding friendship, what has knowing Jesus taught you about friendship and, and what does friendship with him look like for you? Oh, do you want an emotional Jeanette? Um, when I was a kid, yeah, always, (laughs) When I was a kid, we were kind of always like taught to like, I guess it was like a high school, it was a high school thing where we were like writing down the names of God and like what name really meant something to us. And God or Jesus being my strong tower was like the name or like the imagery that I always had because I have a really great dad. I didn't need God to be like my dad or anything like that. I needed him to be like that safety, that place where I was covered and um, protected and I think that that in adulthood has transferred to my friend. I need him to be this place where I can come and be 100% me and 100% loved and accepted because he created me to be just me. And I think that that is um, really where I see him now. And that's where I want him to meet my friends. That's the Jesus I want my friends on the internet to see. I want them to see this God who who's mighty and huge and just massive. I want them to see that, but I also want him them to see this really sweet Jesus who cares so deeply for them that he just wants to be their friend. He just wants to walk alongside and carry those 
really hard moments, but those really insignificant moments as well. And that has been like the friendship that I've seen with him, man, even this past, like probably, especially this past two years where I've been like, Jesus, I'm really afraid. I'm really worried. And he's like, okay, thank you for letting me know. Like, I've got you. Like, we're right here. I'm like, okay, okay. I, I was talking recently with somebody like we all had COVID in January. And so for 10 months, we were told to fear this virus. And then all of a sudden it's in our home. And I was like, that my lungs ached, but even more than that, anytime I would get like shortness of breath, I'd get panicked because that's fear sitting on top of it. And so I just be like, okay, Jesus, fill my lungs. Like, it's just like, he's just such a sweet friend. And that I think has shaped how I view friendship and how I've learned to be a better friend because Jesus doesn't say, why do you feel like that? What's wrong with you? Why are you afraid? He says, okay, thank you for letting me know. I've got you. I'm holding you close. We, we're in this together. Um, also, P.S., I've overcome the world. So it's fine. It's fine. Just know that I'm here. But like, you don't have to worry right here. But he's not shaming me in that. He's just loving me in that. Oh, that's a great way to end because Jesus is really speaking to all of us out of love. Yeah. All right. Here's my question. My last question, because we live in a world that can make us feel so frustrated or offended or dare I say, ragey. What are you doing right now? What are you finding is working to get the rage out lately? Oh man, that's so good. That's, I like it. You need to keep this from one podcast or to another. I like this one. I just started CrossFit again. You have your home gym, but now you're actually going yeah. back to the gym. I, so I love, I'm like, I'm a hard, I love working out at home. I really, really do. However, I stopped <laughs> and then I needed to read Breaking Free from Body Shame by Jess Conley because I had some feelings. Um, no, it really, it really came down to, um, I needed to leave my home some, I don't feel comfortable in my skin. And I had to like, kind of like process that. Like when was the last time I felt really good? It was when I felt strong. And that was when I was doing CrossFit and there's something I mean, like I CrossFitted our whole adoption process and there was just moments of like just crashing that bar down that just releases some freaking rage. <laughs> it's so good. And so I, um, yeah, I just started back. So I am so sore, but it's like that, like good feeling of like, man, I'm moving my body. It's, it's, it is like those endorphins, you know, Elle Woods, oh, people don't so kill their good. husbands. So yeah, that's how I'm releasing rage. It's really good. Happy people don't kill their husbands. I love it. It's so good. I remember that now. I just started doing nine round. Are you familiar with nine round? Do they have no. them in Texas? Okay. So I it's a 30 minute circuit, but it's uh kickboxing and weights like kettlebells and the punching bags and stuff like that. But you go to nine different stations in 30 minutes. And I agree with you. I hadn't been back. I'd been working out in my neighbor's garage and we still do work out in her yeah. garage, but I was feeling the same. And so I went back and I feel very strong too. I love that. I love that. Yeah. There's nothing like punching. I'm sure that's a good, that's a good rage release. It's a great one. All right. What's your question? Okay. Pod, okay. Podcast host me do it. Yeah. Okay. Because we believe there's a time for everything under the sun right now, it's time for coffee or the morning rage. Uh, what is it time for in your own life right now? You want me to cry? Yeah, I sure do. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's time for me to let go of my kids. And this is not going to make sense 
to people on the podcast or to you, cause we haven't really talked about it, but maybe I'll tee this up at the beginning of the morning rage. I have been really struggling with this school decisions that we've made for the boys this year over COVID. We fully homeschooled. We did a hybrid homeschool model to start this year off and it's not working. And my Enneagram three leaning personality wants to crush life and knock down those goals and say that I was able to successfully be a mom and a homeschool teacher to my boys and work at Cal Poly and have a podcast and do all these things. And the reality is that I cannot. And I feel very good about our local elementary school. I went down there the other day to just check it out, see what they were doing. We have a lot of neighbors who go there. Growing up in conservative Christian environments, I was taught to fear public school. Hmm. I'm just going to be honest. Like I was taught that you either did homeschool or Christian school and public school kids were different. And in California and in the community that I live in, there's actually a huge homeschool base. There's a large Christian school, which my boys were at in this community. We pulled them out over COVID for various reasons. We didn't really agree with some of their COVID policies. I feel the Lord nudging me to put the boys into our local elementary school and to just trust him that they're his kids and that I can live out what I believe that God has overcome the world and no one thing that is going to happen to them at school, in my home, on the street, like God's got this, he's got them. And I also deeply believe in investing in the local community and being part of the school in our community is one way to do that. And I think it's time for me to let them go, but that feels like failure. So I think this is a season of letting go of my preconceived notions of what motherhood should look like, of what school should look like for my kids, what our family life is going to look like and release my children to God. Hmm, I love that. And you know that I have to tell you because of who I am, what I do, just think about the people you're opening up to. Like you're, you're expanding your community in a really cool way. I remember being told in high school and everything that like, and it's funny looking at it now because it's the same thing I feel like with for us and our kids is the public school district is the largest mission field we'll ever step on. And um, it's an interesting thought process. Like I was told that as a high school student, like you're in your mission field, go, go, go. And I was like, golly, calm down, man. Um, but looking at it as a parent now, I'm like, man, we're back in this mission field. We're back. We're back to serve others, to love others in our community. Just like you said, oh, man, I'll just be praying for you. I know that that's a hard, your striver self and your, you, I know, <laughs> I know you and I love you. <laughs> Thank you. Jeanette, where can people find you and where can they get your devotional book? Oh, so sweet. Okay. Everything you want is that uh, JeanetteTapley.com. It's a beautifully redone website that I just adore, but there's links to the book. The book's actually just on Amazon. Super easy. And um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm there often. So says my screen time reports. Uh, and it's just at Jeanette Tapley. And I uh, love to hang out there. I haven't been like showing up as much as I could or should be because, you know, it's hard to show up right now sometimes. Yes, it really is. And (laughs) I'm super grateful for this conversation. I feel like it's definitely the breath of fresh air that I needed today. And I think it's 
going to be the breath of fresh air that everyone listening is going to need. Thank you for being you, my friend. Thank you for being you. I debated whether I should leave that last part of the interview in there. It felt pretty... Well, I have a vulnerability hangover. That's what it is. (laughs) Sharing what I'm going through with the school decision with the boys and how hard it's been felt really weird for me. Mm -hmm. But I've heard a couple of times in the last few weeks, I've seen people who've been like, man, I don't know how you're doing all these things. And I think when we talk about contentment, next week we're going to talk about social media and contentment. We can look at people's lives from the outside and think, they have got it all together. I don't know how they're doing all these things. I could never do that. And we start to feel discontent with ourselves, with our own life, with our own ability to get things done because we think other people are doing it better. And I want to go on record as saying, I'm not doing these things well. I've cried every day for the past two weeks. I've taken on too much. I've put too much pressure on myself. Something has to give. My husband literally said, I want my wife back to me the other night. And I said, I'd like her back too. (laughs) When you find her, please let me know. I think she's roaming around somewhere. (laughs) Super aimlessly. Probably in the middle of the Galapagos. (laughs) Trying to save the turtle. Bless her. That sounds good. Mm -hmm. So I don't know where everyone is at right now. You talked about how overwhelming the world in general can feel we're all taking on and taking in a lot. Mm -hmm. And I just want people to know that they're not alone. And whatever decisions you're facing right now that feel hard or whatever aspect of your life feels hard, or if you don't feel like you're crushing it, Mm -hmm. that's okay. I'm not either. Yeah. I think that's so good. I think it's important to not have a distorted view of reality in terms of well, everyone else seems to be doing all of these things and doing them well and being happy. And why can't I? And I think the worst thing from my own experience that I can ever think to myself is, is something wrong with me? What's wrong with me that I can't also do all of these things and be happy and successful? And whatever that means, realistically, that's like a moving target if I've ever seen one. We're all not alone in this. I know it's hard to see that sometimes when you are alone, but we're all going through all of the stuff. All of the stuff. All of the stuff, yeah. Well, I think we should talk about some stuff. (laughs) What kind of stuff? Some hot stuff. Okay. See what I did there? I like it. All All right. right. Let's get to it. What's your hot stuff, Jen? Well, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Ashton Kutcher and uh, Mila Kunis don't bathe their kids (laughs) all the time. And Ashton Kutcher was on ESPN's College Game Day in Iowa this weekend because he went to the University of Iowa. And this weekend there was a matchup between the University of Iowa and Iowa State. So he was on ESPN's College Game Day in Iowa. And he got shower shamed. Oh my gosh. (laughs) The fans started chanting, take a shower, take a shower when he came on. I don't know if that's horrifying or the fact that people know so much about you, you know, like you should feel honored that they all know that you don't shower. I don't know. 
You know what? If anyone saw me right now, they would say, take a shower. Take a shower. So. Hey, you know that three-day-old hair? It's working. I got a hat on. It's working for you. You you must be on day four. That's the hat day. Here's looking at you, Kutcher Kunis family. All right, but I think we both really want to talk about this second hot stuff. I wonder what it could be about. Guys. J-Lo and Ben. Oh, the Benifer renaissance continues. The Benaissance. The Benaissance. Well, well, that takes Jennifer out of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think he really is having a Benaissance. She's always been gorgeous and like yeah. doing well. <laughs> He's been on a real roller coaster of Dunkin' Donuts and... <laughs> and back tattoos. Dropping things and... <laughs> So they were at the Venice International Film Festival this week because Ben is there to promote his latest film, The Last Duel, which he co-wrote and stars in with none other than Mr. Matt Damon. Do you think that's kind of thirsty? Like, because we're supposed to what? Like, bask in the nostalgia that they're back together again writing a movie. And that Jen and Ben are back together again. Right? I'm like, what year is this? It's all very thirsty. (laughs) But this is the first time that they had been on the red carpet together since 2003 when they were at the premiere of Gili. Oh, she, oh, Gili. How could I forget? Um, I saw this. They have side-by-side pictures, okay, of Jen and Ben from 2003 and currently from, like, what, this last week. I can't, I can't even handle these pictures. How much would everyone pay to have J-Lo's secret? looking for us in time. Do you think she goes home and gets put in a cryogenic situation? <laughs> Honestly, and I would feel better. Out? I would feel better if she did. Because I need to understand how she not only looks the same, but like she kind of looks better. And not this... that I should be talking about looking better or worse. I'm just saying, if you look at these photos next to each other, she's just so gorgeous. I just don't understand how she hasn't aged. This is a true mystery because there are many other celebrities who shall not be named who have just as much money as her. Yes. And have, I don't know that she's had work done. I don't know that she hasn't had work done. But these other celebrities are spending some money to have some stuff done. And they do not (laughs) look better with age. Yeah. So I, J-Lo's boobs look so good. (laughs) I know. 18 years ago. And they look better. What's going on? I don't get it. And not in a, a fake kind of way. No, they just look happier than they ever have. You know what those boobs were saying? Because I'm real. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but this is what I really think JLo needs to do. I think she needs to let us in mm-hmm. on the secrets. And I have this idea, Jen. So follow me on this. The perfect way for her to give us the secrets to her glamorous success and I've branded it in everything. So J-Lo needs to start a retreat, maybe in like Miami, yeah. you know, where we get to learn her like habits and they divulge all of the secrets to her everlasting youth. And it would be called the J-Glo retreat, right? I uh-huh. would pay so much money <laughs> to go to the J-Glo retreat. <laughs> okay, I'm not ignoring the fact that we're talking about contentment and like comparison. <laughs> Yeah, but it feels a little different whenever we're comparing ourselves to J-Lo versus when we're comparing ourselves to the rando mommy blogger on the internet. That's true. That's true. It doesn't seem as accessible. Right. I'm like, yeah, good for you. I don't have that level of access to any of this, and I know it. Yeah. 
But like, here's the thing, no matter what the contentment comparison, sure, whatever, I'm still going to be buying all of the products to try to make myself look younger. And I want to at least invest that money into something that works. So uh, JLo, if you're out there listening to the pod, if you're a regerette, can you share your secrets with us? And please, please, please don't tell me it's drinking more water. I can't handle it. <laughs> she, I would seriously pay so much money mm-hmm. to know yes. what she's doing. I know. And how she's doing it. But, like, I want her to show me literally herself. She can pipe in through a a video feed. Yeah. Oh, she will. The J J Glow Retreat. It's kind of like Nine Perfect Strangers, but... (laughs) Less creepy. Less creepy, for sure. Mm -hmm. It doesn't involve opioids, Yes, maybe no psychedelics, (laughs) but... (laughs) But if that's what works for you, girl, I mean, still let us know. Tell us now. Tell still us wanna, now. Still wanna know. <laughs> Tell us. Wow. See, we haven't nailed this contentment or comparison thing either, so we'll, we'll keep working on it. No, if there's one takeaway about me from this <laughs> podcast, it's that I'm definitely not nailing anything <laughs> except myself na- to the altar of vulnerability. <laughs> Are you nailing it like that show about making desserts and they look not great afterwards yeah, nailed it <laughs> that's how i feel is like a cake where one side is collapsing <laughs> it's such a good metaphor for life <laughs> on that note friends <laughs> we truly feel that life is too short to stay silent thank you for raging with us <laughs>